I think God was reaching out to me for a long time. I think it took a little while for me to hear it, but that's probably common. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. Today I'm speaking in good faith with Elisa Bielitich. She's an Orthodox Christian author, a podcaster, a speaker. I've been able to even watch a few of these talks on YouTube. You, Elisa, are a very engaging speaker, so thank you for speaking with me today. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm happy to be here. Also, thanks to your technical savvy, we're hearing you nice and clear all the way from Texas. You and your husband, Marco, have five daughters, live outside of Austin, Texas. And for our listeners, I'll just mention you direct and teach Sunday school at Transfiguration Greek Orthodox Church. You write books, you host podcasts, and contribute to curriculum projects, including working at an Orthodox summer camp. You just never gave up summer camp. I never did. You know what? I didn't even get to go to summer camp as a kid. So now I go every year as an adult, and I get to enjoy it from the other side. I want to explain to some listeners who may not be as familiar. They may have heard Protestant and Catholic and Orthodox, but there's Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox. What do those mean, and where is your church home? Well, you know, that can be confusing because uh, when we talk about Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox, we make it sound like they're two different things, but they really aren't. There's just one Orthodox Christian church, and uh, it just happens that in different countries, they handle it in different languages, and, you know, maybe the bishops over that country are different from the other bishops, but we're all united in theology and for the most part in practice. Um, I'm an American. I grew up here. I was non-denominational Christian. And when I met my husband, he was Serbian Orthodox. And honestly, at first, I wasn't all that impressed. And I did not, uh, I didn't convert right away. We got married. And then as I started going to the Orthodox Church and reading some books and getting to know some of the priests, I started to realize that it's really a fascinating mystical tradition. Um, it's a very old tradition. It dates back the first church, the early church with the apostles. And the thing about the Orthodox is they don't like to change things. And so while there have been changes over the years, we went from like a six-hour liturgy to a four-hour liturgy to now a mere 90-minute liturgy. <laughs> um, uh, you know, as things do change over the years, but very slowly and not very much. And that is a great pride of the Orthodox because it really means something to be worshiping in the way that the apostles worshiped. So, so that's who we are. But, uh, you know, it can feel very foreign and strange in the U.S. because so many of the Orthodox people are immigrants. But it's a real denomination open to Americans, too, just like me. From my understanding, not only were you raised non-denominational, but you kind of came from a colorful background. <laughs> I did. I did. My dad was actually an ex-con, and he did not enjoy authority. He had a problem with authority, would be a fair thing to say. So we moved way out into the middle of nowhere. We did not have a church community, which honestly, I think, you know, they never exactly said this, but I really think it was because my dad didn't want to answer to anyone. So I don't think he could have a pastor. My parents really followed Baraka Church with Colonel Robert Thiem in Houston, Texas, mm -hmm. if anyone's familiar with that. So we'd listen to reel-to-reel -reel tapes here and there. But for the most part, I would say my parents handed me a Bible, said, all of this is true. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, period. <laughs> and that was, that was our faith growing up. That was about it. Hearing that and reading or, or whatever exposure you had to gospel teachings and reading, 
Was that something you thought, well, I'll look into this someday? Or was it very meaningful to you even when you were young? Oh, it was profoundly meaningful to me. You know, I had an experience. I was reading the Bible when I was about 11 years old. I was sitting on my bed and I was praying and I was, you know, praying sort of an 11-year-old's prayer like, God, show yourself or help me to truly believe. And as I was reading the gospel, I just felt this wave of God's presence, His grace just wash over me. And for years after that, if ever there was a doubt in my head, if ever I would think to myself, well, is God something I'm I'm telling myself about just to make myself feel better, or is this real? I would think back to that moment, and I would hold on to it, and I knew that God was real, and I knew that Christ was real in my life. So I did have a personal relationship with Christ, although I didn't have a community guiding me. And so I would say, I think I probably did a lot of things that Christ wouldn't have liked much. In my head, he was just, he was a big fan of all of them. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't really have any outside assistance with discerning God's will in my life. It was more like, Jesus, let's go to this party. Let's do it. That sounds great. But he was always with me and he, he watched over me and protected me, I would say, in some situations where I may have been a little risky from having, uh, from having not a lot of church guidance. <laughs> And even so, maybe it's good that you started from a place where you were on good, friendly terms with God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was, and it is good that I really developed a true, a true faith in God and a true relationship with God. That has been, you know, that obviously that's a central part of my life. It always has been. But it's been interesting, you know, coming into the Orthodox faith because a lot of Orthodox people don't know a lot about what it would be like to be outside of a really formal church structure. So that's kind of nice because I think it's unusual to have this perspective of being a person who's an Orthodox Christian, but who also has this experience of a totally, I guess you'd say, like individualistic kind of religious faith in the background. Besides that experience, which actually seems quite remarkable to me that you would have this feeling at a very young age that God was there and present for you, along the way, do you feel like you received answers to questions or that you were sort of nudged along the path? Could you see that at the time or do you see that now? I couldn't see it at the time as much. I felt certainly I prayed a lot, you know, very informal, but almost constant prayer, just conversation with God at all the time. But I don't think that I saw where he was directing me. I don't know if any of us really see it at the time. Sometimes we think we're seeing it and we try to follow it, but it's hard to know. But in retrospect, it's easy for me to make out this path where he kept nudging me, I really think, toward orthodoxy. I look back, I see different icons that I ran across, you know, the Orthodox love iconography, which is the special artwork where it's images of the saints, images of Christ or his mother, really to make those saints and to make Christ real for us, because Christ did come down in the flesh and to remind us, Christ really, really exists. Here he is in front of you. Don't forget to pray to him. I can think of so many times when I saw icons or when I would wander into an Orthodox church and look around and go, what the heck is this? And walk out. And uh, I think God was reaching out to me for a long time. I think it took a little while for me to hear it, but that's probably common. And some of the icons are so striking, especially the very old ones. You know how long they've been involved with people's faith. It's amazing. Well, you know, um, according to Orthodox tradition, we believe that St. Luke the Evangelist, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and also the Acts of the Apostles, we believe that he actually sat down with the Mother of God sometime after Christ's resurrection and actually painted a portrait of her. And she said, you know, that she approved of it and she liked it and that it looked like her and all of that. And so the first icons really come from the same people who wrote the Gospel. 
And uh, it's so beautiful. You know, you go to the really old churches in the Holy Land or in Greece or somewhere, you see these icons that are really almost as old as the as the church. <laughs> and it's, it's really breathtaking, and they're very beautiful. And it's interesting to find that uh, we know what Christ looked like. We know what Mary looked like. We know what Luke and Peter and Paul and all of them looked like. Because at the time, people were painting their portraits or their icons, and we still have some of them today. Because I sometimes lead tours to Jerusalem and have been in several of those churches. Those icons, I just have a great respect for them, as I mentioned. But I have a very small one that I got that is an image of Christ on it. I just love having it on my bookshelf because of what it reminds me of every time I see it. That's exactly it. You know, I I think sometimes, certainly I was raised with the sense that you wouldn't want to have any images in prayer or worship. And what I've come to understand about orthodoxy is that it's a lot like having a picture of your grandmother, you know, or a picture of a loved one, Um, perhaps if you have a husband who's passed on before you or a wife, if you have a child, as I do, who's gone on to heaven. You know, my son's picture is on my desk, and he passed away 14 years ago. I'll sometimes pick up that picture and hold it as if I'm holding him or give it a little kiss, right? And that's, to me, I'm not kissing a picture. I'm kissing my son, but he's not there to receive it. So he sort of gets it by proxy through this image. And that's really the logic of icons is that, yes, you have a picture of Christ there on your shelf or on your desk, and you could walk over and you can say a prayer before that, and Christ knows that you're talking to him. And as humans, we're so limited, it sometimes it helps keep us focused. And I think one of the interesting things in particular about an icon of Christ is it reminds you that Christ is real. And Christ came here and he took a particular form and he said particular things. And it helps to kind of guard against that problem of just imagining, as I did when I was a teenager, that Christ is just doing what whatever we want him to say, he's saying, right? <laughs> like that. Uh, I'm like, well, Jesus, I'm going to go drink with my friends. How do you feel about that? You like it? Great. When there's an icon in front of you, it reminds you, you know, he's separate from me and I don't get to put words in his mouth. He has words in his own mouth. And that's... Uh, It's kind of an interesting protection offered by the icons and certainly something that surprised me when I learned to pray with them. So you marry your husband, Serbian Orthodox, and you go to church. You're not all that impressed, but something happens that prompts a conversion. What is that something? Well, it was a few things. One thing, honestly, was the timeline. I was about to give birth to my first daughter, and I really wanted us to be on the same page religiously by the time we had children. And I really at first thought, oh, he'll convert. He'll leave the Orthodox Church and come with me. We could be Lutheran. We could be something else. And he really wasn't going to do it. Uh, but he, he would say, I am Orthodox. It's not something I do. It's something I am. And I found that very frustrating and strange at first. Now, as an Orthodox person, I get it. It really is. It's such an ingrained daily practice and such an ingrained worldview. Uh, The entire way that I see the world is so informed by my Orthodoxy that I couldn't separate myself from it uh, just simply by attending a different place, you know, going somewhere else on Sunday. So he wasn't going to leave. And then I thought, well, okay, I'll have to make my peace with us being in two different churches. But then, you know, here and there, as I— as I would speak with priests, 
a lot of what they said made sense. And a lot of what I feared, for example, iconography as a distraction from prayer turned out to be something that helps you focus on prayer. And that helped. And then, frankly, uh, we were in the Serbian church, which does everything in church Slavonic or in Serbian. And it was very hard for me to feel comfortable there. I went to something else. It's called the OCA, the American church, the American Orthodox. Everything's in English there. I walked in and I heard the liturgy in English. I heard the prayers in English. And I prayed about it. I thought, you know, Lord, show me if if this is true or if this is something I should avoid or what should I do. And I really just felt at peace. I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit there. I was reassured. So hearing everything in English, it wasn't hard to convert at all. Hearing things in a foreign language that you can't understand, you know, it's hard to sign on to something when you don't know what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but hearing things in English, it worked. You host several podcasts, and you're the author of several books. And I see this thread running through them, which maybe should have been obvious. One is your podcast, Raising Saints, Everyday Orthodox, and then Welcoming the Christ Child, Family Readings for the Nativity, Blueprints for the Little Church, Creating an Orthodox Home. So I really see this idea of family tying in with your belief. And if I can quote you to you one more time... (laughs) (laughs) Here are quotes from two different talks. One of the best things we can give our children is really good parents. No one's going to disagree with that. But then you say this interesting thing, quote, all ministry should be family ministry. How to live it out, I guess, in your daily life, not just in church. Yes. You know, the Orthodox faith is really a way of life. It's a mindset and it's a way of doing things. One thing in Orthodoxy is that the faith is never just intellectual. Uh, You know, I think that when I was a kid, the faith that I had, it was read the scriptures and you'll understand. And there was a lot of intellectual understanding that was required for a Christian. Or rather, it was mostly intellectual understanding. It was a decision to accept Christ, but that's sort of all in the head. In orthodoxy, everything is lived out very physically. With the icons, we say that Christ is present. We have an icon of Christ to remind ourselves that he's always present. In the same way, For instance, when we say our prayers, we light a candle, and just as the heat and the smoke go up toward the heavens, our prayers are going up toward the heavens. And so there's just this very physical manifestation. You worship with your whole body. You kneel, you stand, you cross yourself to remind yourself that you're trying to become holy, that you're asking for God's blessing. There's this constant motion. Our services are mostly sung, not with instruments, but just with the human voice. And there's this sense that our whole body worships God and follows God. And that follows throughout the week. For instance, Orthodox people will fast, which means that on Wednesdays and Fridays, Wednesday because Christ was betrayed on a Wednesday and Friday because he was crucified on a Friday, we fast from meats and dairy products if we can. Some people can't, you know, for health reasons, and that's fine. But on a fasting day, you try to pray a little bit more. You try to curb your tongue a little more. (laughs) You just exercise some extra discipline a few days a week to keep yourself on track. And then just before Christmas and just before Easter, we'll spend extra time fasting. We'll do a 40-day fast. And, uh, of course, the apostles fasted. You know, the fasting is in the Bible. Christ even says, when you fast— oil your face and look happy and don't try to look miserable like the hypocrites, right? He doesn't say if you fast. He says when. So, you know, I've adopted this biblical practice of fasting as well. And that's something that has to be passed down to children as part of your lifestyle. It's not 
a lesson in Sunday school and then they adopt it. It's really something that's lived out day to day all the time. Or things like if you're driving down the street and you see a siren and there's been a car accident, to stop and pray with your children, to have everyone cross themselves and say a little prayer for the sick, a little prayer for the first responders. You know, these are beautiful things that we do to make sure that our our faith isn't just on the back seat, it isn't just on the back burner and we're going to pull it out on Sunday mornings, but it's something that's constantly informing our decisions. So as parents, the way that you teach it is not with one Bible lesson a week, but is really with a constant effort to try to live out the faith. Well, that's a beautiful example, especially the image you gave of pulling over when there, I hope you pull over, when there's an accident to pray with your children. Because, yeah, making that connection with the actual events of daily life. That's beautiful. Absolutely. I'm a big fan, too, of having uh, like a whiteboard in our prayer corner. We Orthodox, we can pray anywhere, but it's nice to have a little space in your home that's dedicated to prayer with like maybe some candles and a few icons. And we always have a whiteboard there where family members can write names on the prayer list. And so while, you know, as long as someone's sick, they stay up on our list of sick or when they pass away, we might pray that God has mercy on them and gives them a good place in heaven. We're always praying for people. And by leaving that whiteboard available to the kids all day, you tell them, hey, if you hear something, you put it there because your prayers are important, your intentions are important, and the rest of us will pick it up and carry that with you. You know, there are so many very small things we can do that really show our kids that their faith life really matters and has consequences in the world. Just back on the whiteboard, I was thinking if I had gotten mad at my children and then I saw them write my name on the prayer list, I think I would think, oh, <laughs> I guess I know, you know why what? that's there. All the time. <laughs> it's all the time. <laughs> Okay. I'm just glad for that little bit of humanity in there. You combine intellectual with spiritual in an interesting way. You grew up in the Napa Valley, as you said, attended UC Berkeley, graduating with honors in comparative literature, English, Spanish, Italian, and Danish, started work on a doctorate with a focus on various literature, including Karen Blixen and some Faulkner. It's interesting because I hear some people say, well, you cannot follow an intellectual path and faith. And I hear some people say, well, you can't follow your faith and be distracted by intellectualism. But it seems to me they have to go together somehow. Well, I think they do, but I think each of us is different, and God gives us different gifts and different interests. And so, you know, I look at, for instance, the apostles, right? You think of someone like like Luke. He was very well-educated. You know, Luke was a physician. He was educated in every—he had all all the degrees of his day, essentially, (laughs) and uh, as did, I believe, Paul did as well, right? But they were also really experiencing the faith in a very concrete way, living the faith in a concrete way. And then they use that education, they use those gifts to become great writers who can express the faith and hand it down to all of us with with some divine inspiration, of course. So I think there's room for all different kinds of ways of doing it. I think certainly there are good Christians who aren't concerned about the intellectual aspects of the faith and who are just moving on beautiful faith alone and are simply consulting God for direction and moving forward with that. And as long as they have a pure and beautiful heart for God, you know, I would never stop someone and say, oh, you need to be reading some more books on the faith. <laughs> but on the other hand, yeah, well, and in fact, the Orthodox, we have a lot of stories about that, like all these little folk tales. Tolstoy writes a lot of them down for us, actually. He, he wasn't very religious, but luckily he 
kept a lot of our religious stories. One of them is like these men have been shipwrecked on an island and a bishop and a bunch of priests come and they're talking to them and they're like, oh, you know, we can take you back to the mainland. And they go, no, 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 we're happy on the island. And they're like, well, before we go, let's teach you how to pray. And they're trying to teach him the Lord's Prayer. And these guys are so simple, they can't remember the Lord's Prayer. And so they're teaching them and teaching them. They finally get frustrated, go back to their boat, and they're heading home. And the, they see these three little men run out on the water to grab them. And they stop the boat, and they turn, and they say, what is it? You know, they're walking on water like Christ. And they're like, oh, we can't remember that prayer you wanted to teach us. Will you please teach us? <laughs> and it's, you know, it's this sort of idea. We have a great tradition of, of the fool, the religious fool, or the real simple, simple peasant faith of a farmer or of a, of a ranch hand, you know, who is, just loves God. And that's all God needs is for us to love him with all of our hearts. But if he's given us some gifts in intellect, you know, I love to read. I love to study things. I love to analyze things. And so I think, you know, he allows me to use those gifts for his glory as well. I think it's a blessing all the way around. I wonder if there are things that you have had to decide, I will just have to accept this part on faith because I can't know or maybe I don't understand. Oh, absolutely. And especially first coming into the church, there were a lot of things where I just sort of took it. Well, for example, um, veneration of Mary. I was raised to be suspicious that Mary would distract me from Jesus. And coming into the church, it really took me a while. I would say about 10 years. I got comfortable in the church for about 10 years, and then it was like, all right, Mary, let's talk. <laughs> let's, let's time. It's time to figure this out. I looked through all of these Orthodox prayers, One in particular really jumped out at me, and I can't remember the exact words, but it was this great image. It was like Mary had a bucket, and Jesus would fill it with his grace, and then she could pour it out on us. That it wasn't that she was a source of grace, but that her son was the source of grace. But because he loves his mother, he's giving her abundant grace that she can then distribute, and that I could go to her and ask for some of that. And that was an image I could could handle. And so I started praying to her just that prayer. And it's sort of slowly opened up, and over time, I genuinely pray to her now any time that I feel like I need some intercession, I need some help, I need some comforter. I pray to Christ, I pray to God, I pray for the Holy Spirit to come to me, and I pray for Mary to help me with that as well. And also for other other saints, I think of them as like, you know, I have aunts and uncles who've passed away, but who I know were strong in their faith. And when they were here on earth, I would never hesitate to say, oh, please pray for me. I'm really struggling right now. And so I ask them, even after they've passed, to continue to pray for me, because I know they're with God, and the saints are the same. We know that they're with God, so we ask them to pray for us. You know, I struggled with Mary, with the saints to some some degree, but I was able to make peace with that. You know, I think that sometimes is a thing that we happen that will happen in our spiritual lives. There can be things in the scriptures, too, that we don't understand. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that we just give the whole thing up and wander away, but it may mean that we look at that and we say, okay, God, in time, it would be nice if you would reveal to me how that makes sense, or at least let me have peace with not understanding it, because some of these things don't make sense to us right away. What's the age span of your daughters, if, you, if you're comfortable sharing that information? Well, you know, my oldest right now is 20 years old, off to college, and then my youngest is nine, going into fourth grade. So I, you know, we, <laughs> we've we had these wonderful five daughters, and they're so great, but it's so funny because when we had our oldest, I was kind of a young mom, and now we have our youngest, I'm kind of an old mom. <laughs> and uh, So I feel like I've looked at parenting from a few different angles over the years. Sounds like the Joni Mitchell song, I've looked at love from both sides now. <laughs> 
that's exactly what was just playing in my head. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> the photograph you keep of your son. Yes. I'm wondering, did Faith pull you through that experience, or was that a, a, a time when it was really a trial, or were you lifted through it by your faith? I would say it was a trial, and I was lifted through it. When we first converted to Orthodoxy, as as I've mentioned, I wasn't used to living in a church. I wasn't used to having, you know, a pastor or a priest who was involved in my life or anything like that. When I first converted and we were going to church, we would attend church on Sundays, but I didn't really have that sense of the church being a part of my life. I had Christ in my life, but maybe not the church. And then when my son died, all of that changed. You know, my priest was sitting at my side in the hospital as he was pronounced dead, And I was able to ask him questions. You know, why does this happen? Why do people die? What is all of this craziness? What is heaven? Up until that moment, I was comfortable just, oh, heaven's a place where there's no sorrow or suffering. Okay, great. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, where's my son? No, I mean, really, where? Where did he go? What does that mean there's no sorrow or suffering? And it really caused me to ask a lot of questions about theology, about the faith, about salvation. In a lot of ways, it was a great gift because I would maybe never have asked those questions and never gotten the answers. And it was learning how beautiful Christianity is, really, like studying the scriptures, understanding theology that really enriched my life so much and changed everything for me. I would say that the experience of losing my son, he died of SIDS as an infant. It was very traumatic. I developed PTSD. But one thing is that I had a very clear sense that to one side of me was a huge bottomless abyss. And if I allowed myself to fall in there, I might never get out, that it was just depression and despair and misery. And to the other side of me was Christ. And I could reach up and I could hold on to his hand and hold tightly, and he would keep me from falling into that abyss. Or I could let go and embrace all of this, all of these questions, you know, why me, why me, and why him, and this isn't fair. If I really embraced all of that and became angry with God, I I knew that it was going to be a terrible spiral of despair. And so, in fact, I would read the Psalms, and I would think about the pit of which King David speaks, and I I would think, that's the pit beside me. I'm already kind of in the pit, because I'm in the pit of grief, but there's a way that you can really spin out of control in that pit. And I didn't want to, so I held tightly, tightly to Christ, and he carried me through. Maybe a contrasting question would be, what connected to your faith brings you the most joy day to day? Oh, wow. You know, honestly, the prayers of the church, these ancient, ancient prayers written by church fathers and monks and priests and, and you know, little girls <laughs> and people over the centuries, the Orthodox Church has preserved so many of these old, old prayers. And while on the one hand, I love just spontaneous prayer, and I'm honestly, I'm just, I'm one of those people who's, for, I used to talk to myself in my head, now I just talk to God all the time instead, it's a, it's a good redirection. I'm always chattering with God, right? But, but those prayers, when I really stop and I take a moment in the morning or at night, and I take a deep breath, and I read through the Psalms and some of these beautiful prayers of the church, you know, they sort of train your heart how to look at a situation, how to look at the new day, how to look at a problem, how to look at illness. And I find such peace and joy in my quiet 
times of prayer. I just got back from summer camp, actually, and uh, gosh, every morning we would stand there, and it was so crisp and beautiful outside, and the birds were chirping, and we all just stood there outside in a circle under the trees, praying the Psalms and praying some of the church's beautiful prayers, and it was just, you know, that's joy. To me, that is just true happiness and joy. Well, thank you so much. I've been speaking with Elisa Bielitich, Orthodox Christian author, podcaster, speaker, wife, mother, crossfitter, summer camper. Elisa, thank you for speaking with me today in good faith. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. That's our time for today. And thanks to our guest, author, speaker, and podcaster, Elisa Bielitich, for generously sharing her stories and her faith. You can hear this and all of our interviews on demand at our website, byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith, or subscribe to the podcast. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Email us at ingoodfaith at byu.edu. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join me again soon, right here, in good faith.